0: The Farm Advisory Service Podcast. Audio advice on livestock, crops and soils, environment, rural business, and more. Brought to you in association with the Scottish Government. Hello and welcome to this Farm Advisory Service Podcast. My name's Alec Perry and this is Thrill of the Hill. In today's episode of Thrill of the Hill, I sit down with Woodlands Advisor, Virginia Harden, and we discuss the role of agroforestry in helping Scotland meet its ambitious woodland targets, as well as implications for farmland biodiversity and the concept of the right tree in the right place. Hello, Virginia, how's it going? Hello,
1: Alexander. Very well, thank you. And yourself?
0: Good. Yeah, yeah, I'm fine, thanks. I'm fine. Thanks for taking the time to to sit back down and and record this with us. We really appreciate it here at the Farm Advisory Service. That's no problem at all. Virginia, just to get us kicked off, can you give us a bit of a background and an overview of some of the projects that you've been involved in and and what it is you do as as a job?
1: Okay, so in terms of what I do, very good question. Um, uh, firstly, just to note that I'm I'm a retired dairy farmer's daughter. Um, I've been working for and on behalf of Forestry Commission uh, and, and, latterly, Scottish Forestry for the majority of the past eleven years, uh, following a career change and the completion of an of an environmental masters at Edinburgh University in two thousand and eight. So I've been working as a Woodland Creation Officer for Central Scotland Conservancy, uh, Scottish Forestry, since November 2016. Uh, Within this, I work to deliver the Central Scotland Woodland Creation Expansion Programme and um, effectively working to promote the benefits of integrating forestry into existing rural businesses and also to highlight the generous funding currently available for woodland creation projects in the central Scotland area. Uh, in particular, for example, I've been working to deliver the, the farm woodland assessment project, uh, which provides free reports for landowners wishing to explore opportunities for woodland creation on their land.
0: And Virginia, we know that um, Scottish Government have set some pretty ambitious targets for tree planting. We're just coming off the back of the COP26 um, climate change meeting here in Glasgow. Can you um, talk a little bit about um, where we are in terms of meeting the Scottish Government targets for tree planting?
1: Absolutely. So in Scotland, the yearly tree planting targets were increased from 12,000 hectares per annum in 2020, and they'll rise to 18,000 hectares per annum uh, for 2024-2025. In 2019, the Scottish Government reported that Scotland's national tree planting targets had been surpassed, making a critical contribution to the global climate emergency, reporting that 11,200 hectares of new planting had been undertaken in Scotland in the previous year. uh, And that was up from 7,100 hectares of new trees planted the year before, Uh, and that comfortably beat the then 10,000 hectare annual target. So the new woodland figures also confirmed that the Scottish Government's biodiversity route map commitments for new native woodland creation are being met, with the establishment of around 3,900 hectares of new broadleafs, uh, around 40% of all new planting in Scotland. Uh, just to refer to that, in, in March this year, uh, Fergus Ewing, uh, the, the then Rural Economy Sec- Secretary, hailed the news that Scotland is on track to meet its yearly tree planting targets in financial year 2021 uh, as a as a remarkable achievement by Scottish forestry staff, uh, despite the challenges of coronavirus.
0: And just on that, I- I've seen some, some tree planting figures with regards to, to Scotland and how we are performing in comparison to the likes of England, Northern Ireland and, and Wales. There seems to be quite a stark difference. I mean, can you put that down to anything in particular? Why is Scotland such a good place for planting trees?
1: Uh, partly it's space. Uh, we have a lot more open space. Uh, population density and concentration is different uh, to England. We therefore have you know, wider, uh, more open spaces available for tree planting. Um, also a lot of uh, the uplands in, in, in Scotland is, is highly suitable for conifer productivity. Uh, and fast growing conifer species, uh, which makes it ideal for planting. So a, a mix of both of those two factors, I think. Uh, clearly uh, also, well not clearly, but as, as a third factor, uh, the grant scheme in Scotland is is easily accessible. I think, I think the grant scheme in, in England is perhaps more complex, uh, and therefore not as accessible um, as the grant scheme that we have, that the forestry grant scheme in Scotland
0: and uh, you spoke at the 2020 AgriScot virtual event about the potential for agroforestry on your farms and and that's really the topic that i wanted to to discuss today you linked it to business resilience in particular can you lay out the case for increasing tree planting on farms and why that's good for for business resilience
1: Absolutely. So uh, rather than reducing agricultural productivity, integrating trees into ex- existing business can actually help to maximise agricultural output. Shelter provided by woodlands, for example, can provide natural lambing sheds and can result in an associated increase in postnatal survival rates in lambs by up to 30%. It's estimated that up to 20% of agricultural productivity, and that's according to Shepherd and Weatherburn, is lost through lameness, mastitis and other avoidable illnesses and uh, shelter benefits associated with woodlands can help reduce this figure. Forestry blocks around fields can also help protect your soil, your most precious resource. Uh, Approximately 2.9 million tonnes of topsoil are eroded in the UK per annum, reducing the long-term fertility of the soil. Trees used for windbreaks and shelter belts can help prevent damage to crops as well through lodging and reduce soil erosion, helping to keep your soil in the field. You can also use new woodland to renew or refine boundaries. Uh, The current forestry grant scheme helps with the costs associated with fencing new woodlands and new woodland can provide a real opportunity for the business to redefine or renew boundaries which can help in the ongoing management of stock. Natural flood management and and diffuse pollution control are are another two important services that forestry can provide and importantly forestry can also provide a a potential long-term source of tax free income and help to diversify your business With annualised returns of over 15% during the last five years, forestry ranks as one of the best performing assets available in the UK over other mainstream investments, underpinned by increases in timber sales and demand for carbon projects. So forestry presents a good opportunity to build a capital asset on the farm. In terms of returns, they're generally lower for less commercially focused schemes but remain very attractive. And forestry land values have risen from just below £4,000 per hectare in 2010 to an average value of £15,962 per stocked hectare in 2020. And as I mentioned earlier, you know, tree growth rates in the UK, um, they're amongst the highest in Europe and much of Scotland is, 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 is suitable, um, for example, to, to highly uh, fast growing conifer species. Where suitable conditions prevail, commercial species have the potential to grow to the, uh, an average of approximately 15 to 20 tonnes of timber per hectare per year. Uh, that producing a likely surplus of between £25 to £60 per tonne, depending on species location and scale. Uh, And this is on land that in the same period might uh, perhaps produce only one or two lambs. So it's clear that by growing a future timber resource, landowners can produce an additional income stream, diversifying their business.
0: And Virginia, we're here today to discuss agroforestry. Presumably, when we're talking about forestry, it's like all other things. It's it's complicated and agroforestry is not one thing in and of itself. Can you just discuss what some of the different approaches are with agroforestry and what some of the options are that are available for farmers and landowners?
1: Absolutely. Um, so in terms of the def- definition of agroforestry, you might be aware that there are two schools of thought on what it actually means. Uh, there are those who see it as field level, fully integrated silvo arable or silvo-pastoral sy- systems. Um, And this outlook is perhaps perpetuated by the specific agroforestry option of the forestry grant scheme, which is separated from the other main forestry grant scheme options on the website. Um, And then there are others who follow a wider definition, which is taken to be trees among and around crops uh, or livestock. And that includes shelter belts and separate woodland blocks on farms. There have been whole conferences um, on this issue. I've been to a few uh, and we seem to have got no further in one universally agreed definition. Uh, But just to note that effectively, as a result, agroforestry can be seen by some uh, as a very niche area, uh, and this can prove a barrier to engagement, uh, whereas it just simply means integrating uh, forestry with farming. Um, So for landowners, there are a number of options available on the Forestry Grant Scheme for both fully integrated field level silvo arable or silvo-pastoral systems, or for wider integration of of forestry blocks onto their farm uh, around their fields. A full list of woodland creation options is available on the Rural Payments website and they range from productive conifer and broadleaves to native broadleaves, smaller farm woodland, and the field level specific agroforestry option. Um, as an addition uh, to these under um, sorry, options, uh, Scottish Forestry have developed a, a sheep and trees initiative for hill and upland farms. Uh, that's a grant package that brings together two different elements of the forestry grant scheme, and uniquely it enables you to apply for both the woodland creation grant and the forest infrastructure grant for the same area at the same time, Uh, meaning that you'll be able to build access routes to help you get started and then manage your new woodland as it grows, Uh, and it creates an excellent opportunity for you to diversify your business and bring previously unconsidered parts of your farmland into production. Um, In addition to the national planting rates, under which landowners can receive grants of up to £6,210 per hectare towards the cost of new woodland planting, with monies for fencing and tree protection available in addition to this, um, there are also a number of regional uplifts, which can assist with planting scheme economics uh, in in the central Scotland area where I work, for example, we have an area-based uplift of between £750 to £2,500 £2, uh, per hectare on top of the national planting grant, uh, location-dependent. And there are other re- regional uplifts available elsewhere in Scotland, for example, in the Cairngorms and, and Loch Lomond and Trossachs National Parks.
0: Last year in Virginia, we had um, our own consultant, David um, based here in the air office, um, talk to us about uh, woodland planting options for for the farmed upland environment. And we touched on the farmer perception of tree planting. Do you think it would be fair to say that there's resistance out there to to tree planting? And, And to what extent do you think that's changing? So I think there will always be
1: uh, people who are not fans of forestry and my ex-dairy farmer father could well fall into this category. Um, And farming and forestry can still be viewed as as mutually exclusive land uses. Resistance to tree planting can arise from farmland being seen as too good for woodland, for example, um, a cultural desire to continue producing food, the permanence of forestry limiting future land use options, um, a lack of awareness of the benefits of woodland creation, or knowledge of timber demand and markets. Um, But I I do think that, especially in the last two years, there's been a a shift change in the way that farmers view forestry and a greater understanding of the opportunities for integrating forestry with farming to maximise business resilience and agricultural productivity And this has happened against the background of of not only Brexit and related changes or upcoming changes in agricultural subsidies, which will likely see landowners rewarded for the production of public goods, uh, but also COVID and related calls for a green recovery. Um, There's also an increasing public awareness of the climate change and ecological crisis of the sustainability of agriculture and a related drive for the agricultural sector to maximize its green credentials. uh, And that's caused the, the shift change that we currently see.
0: Virginia, do you have any tips for anybody who's designing an agroforestry plan? Is there any kind of um, top tips for beginners, if you like?
1: Uh, Top tips for beginners. Uh, Fundamentally, it's the right tree in the right place for for the right reason. Um, So think about your objectives at the very start and and plan a scheme around that. Uh, For example, if your primary objective is commercial timber production, then uh, you want to make sure you have good access and a sufficient scale of project to make harvesting operations cost effective. Getting your ongoing maintenance and any herbivore control right from the very start is also essential in achieving a successful forestry establishment. Um, it's a case of spend now to potentially save uh, in the future on this front.
0: Okay. Um, any particular species, Virginia, that we should be looking to encourage as part of an agroforestry proposal?
1: So every option uh, under the forestry grant scheme has specific species associated with it. Uh, for example, the productive broadleaf option specifies broadleaf suitable for timber production. Uh, that includes oak and beech, uh, sycamore, uh, birch, wild cherry, sweet, sweet chestnut, poplar, aspen, uh, for example. In addition to this, as per the eligibility criteria of the woodland creation. Uh, General guidance, the tree species must be suitable or very suitable to the site uh, in terms of uh, not only soil fertility, but also soil moisture moisture availability and exposure. Uh, And any species must have a capacity to achieve a minimum average yield class of six across the application area. Um, so this information can be established using a tool called the environmental site classification, uh, which either Scottish forestry or any forestry agent can help provide um, and can provide help with. Um, take note of which tree species grow well in your local area, uh, but be, but do be aware that soil conditions can vary over short distances, as you may well know. And so, do check the soils and existing vegetation of the area you are planting in. Um, in general, fertile deeper soils of the lowlands favour the large trees such as oak and beech. Thinner, rockier soils and more exposed sites uh, suit smaller trees such as birch and rowan. And uh, wetter sites will favour species, species such as alder, willow, and aspen. And um, there's also Quick guides to matching tree species to site on Scotland's uh, uh, Farm Advisory Service uh, website for both conifer and broadleaf trees.
0: And uh, you mentioned there, Virginia, planting in the right tree in the the right land. Um, What kind of agricultural land are you saying that you're most interested in planting when it comes to agroforestry?
1: Okay, so it's useful to note for a start that Scottish forestry will not support planting on deep peats, and that's defined as peat greater than 50 centimetres in depth. Scottish forestry are not looking for a specific kind of agricultural land to plant, uh, although forestry presents a very real opportunity to add value to agriculturally unproductive land, and uh, 86% 86 of Scotland's land is classified as, as many of us know, as less favoured area, uh, and much of upland Scotland, for example, is highly suited to fast-growing conifer species, Just to mention in this this regard that we do not promote uh, the wholesale conversion of prime arable land for forestry. Uh, Scottish Forestry had guidance on thresholds for planting on agricultural land, which is aimed at helping to reduce any potential impact on food production where large planting schemes are being considered uh, on existing agricultural holdings. Um, The suitability of any land for planting will will depend upon the site conditions, uh, and that includes soil, fertility, moisture content, elevation, exposure, etc., uh, although trees will grow in most land types up to a certain elevation. The James Hutton Institute has mapped the forestry capability of all land in Scotland for forestry uh, and this is part of the suite of information that can be provided by the environmental site or ecological site classification tool that I mentioned earlier on and your local Scottish forestry woodland officer or forestry agent can help provide this information. Uh, it's a It's a valuable tool in assessing what to plant and where. I think the kind of land will also depend upon the objective or planting and the species to be grown. Uh, for example, are you looking to realise natural flood management or diffuse pollution control benefits in your planting? Are you looking for a large scale commercial product- productive conifer scheme? Uh, are you looking to deliver shelter benefits for a stock or woodland boundaries to help with stock management, for example? Uh, for, for example to keep stock out of different or difficult areas. Uh, this will inform where and what type of forestry you look to incorporate into your agricultural business. Just in relation to the specific field level agroforestry option under the forestry grant scheme, the land you intend to plant with trees must be permanent grassland pasture, uh, temporary grassland or arable land, uh, classified as land capability for agriculture class 1 to 1 uh, to 4.2 inclusive. Uh, Rotational use between temporary grassland and arable use is also eligible. Um, exceptionally for these options, land in classes 5.1 to 5.3 may be considered where the soils and local climate conditions are suitable for growing productive broadleaf species.
0: And when it comes to grazing and agroforestry, can you discuss some of the options and timescales for grazing? What, what's an appropriate grazing regime look like? Uh,
1: So for woodland creation options under the Forestry Grant Scheme, uh, you have to meet the minimum stocking density requirements at the end of the contract period, and and that's ordinarily 20 years. Uh, Livestock do, as we all know, like to eat and rub against trees. Uh, These are natural behaviours and help keep your livestock healthy and relaxed. But the trees do need protection until they're well established. The level of protection comes down to whether it's feasible to exclude livestock while the trees get established or not. Um, if exclusion is not an option, then protective individual trees, uh, small groups of trees or alleys will be required. Electric fencing is ideal for alleys or rows of trees. Weld mesh guards supported by two stobs has been shown to be necessary to protect an individual tree for sheep browsing. Um, even this is not enough for cattle, so group planting with post and rail roundels uh, may be necessary in that instance. Where livestock exclu- exclusion is possible um, planting areas of at least a couple of hectares and usually using, using traditional stock or deer fencing is, is likely to be more economic. Sheep will have to be kept out until the tree leaders are well out of their, their browsing height and that's likely to be about five years. Uh, even then the sheep will have to be mainly, carefully monitored and removed if they cause damage. Cattle uh, where, where exclusion is not possible, cattle should be kept out of the woodland area for at least 10 years uh, and then as with sheep their access will need to be carefully controlled. Uh, In terms of of, of stock uh, control and grazing, uh, Scottish Forestry have produced a woodland grazing toolkit uh, and this is a guide to developing a woodland grazing plan and it's designed for woodland owners, managers and farmers seeking to manage their woodland to achieve biodiversity uh, and or cultural heritage objectives using livestock as a management tool. Um, Grazing with livestock is only one of the many tools available to to woodland managers uh, and before going any further uh, you should consider whether livestock grazing is likely to be right for your woodland
0: and uh, we mentioned cop earlier obviously climate change is a big political priority right now um, and carbon credits have become a real buzzword within the industry i wonder if you could discuss the the woodland carbon code and how that fits into the discussion of agroforestry
1: yes so the woodland carbon code is the uk's voluntary standard for woodland creation projects and it was established in 2011 Uh, Effectively, it it connects companies looking to offset carbon with landowners who plant trees. Uh, Just note that it applies to woodland creation only at the moment. And there's a growing market of corporate buyers looking to meet targets for carbon and environmental and social governance commitments. So from December 2019 to December 2020, the number of woodland carbon code projects doubled from 250 to 600 across the UK. So a significant rise and it's a very fast moving area. For those who find that the forestry grant scheme does not make the switch to woodland viable, uh, prices on conifer schemes, uh, schemes in southern Scotland currently range between 12 to 13 pounds uh, per pending issuance unit, um, which is effectively uh, one tonne of carbon, uh, and it's effectively a promise to provide a future volume of carbon. Um, and broadly, projects are earning roughly 15 pounds uh, per tonne of carbon each. This figure apparently rises towards 20 pounds per uh, pending issuance unit, for broadleaf projects in England. For woodland carbon units, uh, which are verified tonnes of sequestered carbon measured at year five onwards, uh, the price could very well be higher. So a planted native woodland might be able to sell 350 tonnes of carbon over 100 years, yielding the landowner uh, somewhere between £3,500 to £7,000 per hectare from carbon unit sales. Um, And uh, a productive conifer woodland might be able to sell 200 tonnes of carbon uh, by year 35, yielding £2,000 to £4,000 per hectare from carbon unit sales, and that's before any income from the timber itself or the Forestry Grant Scheme is considered. Uh, there is the option to either sell all or a portion of the carbon units up front as pending issuance, pending issuance units, uh, and this can help with financing the initial years of the scheme, or to sell them uh, as woodland carbon units, as i just mentioned, as you go along, uh, depending on what is right for you. Effectively, woodland carbon code monies are designed to help with capital costs of woodland creation schemes uh, as well as agricultural income foregone. Uh, The financial return of any project is influenced by type of woodland, the management regime, geography, project profile and uh, relative scarcity of other woodland carbon code projects in the area. And uh, Businesses looking to buy carbon are also increasingly looking to buy carbon from projects with a a strong story of other additional benefits, uh, such as potential social, hydrological or biodiversity benefits, and and are willing to pay a premium for this so-called charismatic carbon. Key tests for the Woodland Carbon Code uh, include additionality and permanence. Uh, And you can combine grant income and selling carbon credits as long as the carbon income equates to at least 15% of the planting and establishment costs um, to year 10. Uh, And over the project length, uh, woodland creation is either not financially viable without carbon monies or less financially viable than the farming alternative or alternative land use. Um, so I think simply put, the Woodland Carbon Code is another potential source of income and one that's growing in, in popularity. Uh, and there's further information on the Woodland Carbon Code website. And, and, and Alexander, could perhaps send that link uh, as, as part of this production.
0: Uh, certainly. Yeah. Yeah. My follow up question to that, Virginia, would be, does the growth of the UK and Scotland's carbon market, is any part of that concerning to you? Or, or do you think that it's all a positive move?
1: It's got to be what is right for the individual um, landowner uh, and the individual situation Um, and the the income under the woodland carbon code will, as I mentioned, depend on on factors related to your specific site and the design of your project. Um, There are a growing number of intermediary companies and forest agents who can progress woodland carbon codes. Um, Like everything, it has its advantages and disadvantages, Uh, for example, um, you need to Consider not only uh, the upfront carbon income or the or, or the, the woodland uh, carbon units income um, as you go along, uh, but you need to balance that off um, against your actual timber income or potential timber income in the long term. Uh, for example, if you're looking for a commercial and um, productive scheme, you would probably want to maximise uh, that commercial element and uh, and therefore um, you you might want to minimise the actual woodland carbon code element. So it it is entirely. Um, dependent upon your individual circumstances and what kind of woodland you are looking to develop Um, and you know as with everything there are advantages and disadvantages and they need to be looked into properly and before you commit to any scheme.
0: And if I picked you up right, um, you mentioned at the beginning there that um, the Woodland Carbon Code is only applicable to new woodland creation? That is correct, yes. Do you see that changing at any point in the future. Is it possible that we're going to see a woodland carbon code come in for established woodland?
1: Uh, I'm not entirely sure. I know there have been discussions about that uh, with my colleagues in national office. Uh, I don't know uh, what the outcome has been. Uh, It is ongoing so at the moment
0: I'm not able to confirm that. No, that's absolutely fine. You mentioned um, biodiversity um, decline um, there and and how that links in with with carbon and and agroforestry. can you just discuss that a, a little bit more um, maybe, maybe there's there 's more to parse out there
1: yep um, so agroforestry can can result in enhanced biodiversity, uh, generating new opportunities for wildlife. More species of insects and a greater abundance of insects are found in agroforestry than in conventional agriculture. Um, Same applies to bird species uh, with with more species and a greater abundance uh, recorded in agroforestry systems. Uh, On Whitehall Farm, for example, which is the largest uh, largest agroforestry system in the UK, uh, 47 individual species of birds have been recorded. Agroforestry can therefore uh, support natural pollinators and natural pest control in adjoining land, uh, naturally enhancing pests and disease control. It's been estimated that the monetary value of insect pollination in the UK is more than 510 million pounds per annum. And the trees, habitats and plants associated with shelter belts, hedges and woodlands provide important overwinter refuges, uh, nesting sites and pollen and nectar feeding sources to help sustain pollinator populations throughout the year. Um, in terms of pests and diseases, uh, concern is sometimes raised that tree belts will act as a reservoir and source of crop pests. But in fact, uh, research shows that increasing elements of non-crop habitat reduces overall pest risk with woodland supporting populations of natural predators. And natural pollinators and pest control are becoming increasingly more important in, in the face of increasing restrictions on the use of certain agricultural chemicals uh, and in face of the bid to, uh, to maximise the green credentials of the agricultural sector.
0: You did um, touch on on something there that, that I thought was particularly interesting. I, I've read a couple of papers now regarding agroforestry and the benefits of agroforestry. And one of the really striking things to me was agroforestry as a means of temperature control. Um, yeah. Obviously, in, in the face of climate change, um, conditions, particularly through the summer, are only going to get warmer and warmer. I mean, I, I've seen some figures suggesting that with enough tree shade, you can cut... Um, average temperature levels by about 40 percent um, presumably that's that's got to be good for biodiversity and your conventional livestock
1: yes not being a not being a, a scientific expert um i, I can't say uh, for definite but absolutely um you know and in terms of, of livestock productivity um, shelter as well as uh, as, as shade Uh, will become increasingly important in years to come, uh, as we we see currently already witnessing uh, extremes of of temperature under climate change. um, And both shade and shelter have real benefits in terms of animal productivity.
0: Virginia, one of the things that I did want to talk to you about with regards to, to biodiversity was the discussion around ground nesting wading birds and where they fit in with tree planting. I know there's a bit of a conflict there. We, we did have um, previously in the podcast, Patrick Laurie joined us from working for waders. And I think he, he and you would broadly agree that, you know, the principle of the right tree in the right place is what we should be striving for. I wonder if you could just comment on on the issue of waders and, and other species that may not necessarily benefit from woodland.
1: Uh, Absolutely. Um, An ongoing concern that some landowners have uh, for the impact forestry might have on the conservation of critically endangered ground nesting farmland birds and waders uh, with the perception that woodland creation targets will provide opportunities for woodland birds uh, but could equally pose threats to species reliant on open habitats is a very big topic in some parts of Scotland at the moment. In terms of what we've done, uh, Scottish Forestry already have existing woodland creation and curlew guidance, uh, recognising the importance of protecting breeding sites of curlew where they are an, where, where they are important to maintain the viability of local or regional populations. Uh, in the guidance, is recommended an approach to follow when planning woodland creation proposals to avoid or reduce the prote- potential effect of any damage or disturbance on the conservation status of, of this species. In addition to this, um, we've also been working with the British Trust for Ornithology, um, RSPB, Nature Scott and and others, for example, the Cairngorms National Park Authority, on mapping hotspots and developing guidance to protect the most important areas uh, via a toolkit, which will identify important areas for the recovery of breeding waders uh, based on scientific modelling of of bird atlas and also environmental data sets. And we're waiting for some model validation this season uh, before finalising the maps and outputs. Uh, To see how it could work out, we've been using the principle and the available data for our current Regional Strategic Woodland Creation pilot project in the Scottish Borders, um, and uh, we'll look at the results of that in due course. Um, In England at the moment, DEFRA are currently running a consultation to seek key stakeholder views on proposals being developed to improve interaction between woodland creation and wader conservation. And uh, this would involve introducing zonal maps based on habitat to suitability modeling to guide wader conservation and forestry expansion. And the purpose of this is is to show how models could be incorporated into the forestry grant scheme uh, proposal or approval process. And and Scotland is likely to take a similar approach on this. Um, We've also been working with the uh, Working for Waders project and, and have had some early discussion with RSPB uh, British Trust for Ornithology and NatureScot to, to run further work to determine the effectiveness of planned mitigation to protect important wader habitat. Um, just to note that you know, there are a number of notable examples throughout Scotland of landowners who have good forestry schemes and also continue to have good wade- numbers of waders uh, and case studies could I imagine easily be found to share with the audience if wished.
0: Yeah, no, that, that would be great, Virginia. Um... We'll be able to to link any additional documents that you think might be helpful um, at the end of the the podcast. So I would encourage anybody who's listening who has a particular interest to check out the the website for that. Um, Can I just, I'll I'll move the discussion on a little bit. There was one other topic that I wanted to to hit with you, if you don't mind. And that that was the issue of natural capital um, and agroforestry's role in achieving um, better natural capital across Scotland. Where do you see agroforestry fitting in there? So agroforestry
1: is, is a key part of, of increased requirements for, for natural capital. Uh, as we've touched on already, uh, the, the, the grant subsidies, farming subsidies, likely uh, to move in the future towards, uh, more towards a delivery of, of, of nature-based outputs. Um, and you know, forestry is key for biodiversity, um, key for uh, carbon uh, and soil protection, um, it's absolutely a key part. Uh, that, that is why the integration of forestry with farming uh, provides overall benefits to the business unit.
0: And um, just on the water environment as well, presumably there are benefits to, to having agroforestry in close proximity to, to wetlands and, and to, um, to, to water margins.
1: Woodland creation and forestry can play a key role not only in natural flood management but also in diffuse pollution control um, and can also help uh, with stock management, uh, keeping stock um, separate from watercourses and and, and helping to comply with with super regulations. Um, Trees are very effective at soaking up. Um, runoff uh, and reducing the runoff of, uh, uh, for example, ammonia um, from farm units uh, into watercourses, uh, helping to reduce um, at pollution. Um, also uh, very important in terms of regulating temperature uh, in watercourses um, and in terms of, of supporting biodiversity in watercourses. In terms of lat- natural flood management, uh, we have increasing number of organisations, uh, for example, the, the Tweed Forum um, in, in Scotland, uh, looking at the use of uh, woodlands as natural flood management control um, options um, to reduce downstream uh, effects of flooding in, in urban areas. So there are key benefits um, that woodland creation can deliver um, in terms of flood management control um, and in terms of, of, of the water and aquatic environments on the farm.
0: Really great to hear you shout out natural flood management there. Um, we do have uh, Nature Scott case officer Ian Cornforth coming on to discuss that as part of this year's uh, delivery for the podcast series. So looking forward to, to hearing from him. Super. Virginia, I'm just going to wind down the podcast now. And I ask this as the final question to absolutely everybody who comes on. But um, is there anything that you've seen happening within the industry right now, something that you want to draw people's attention to, something that you think has been particularly good practice or an innovative idea?
1: Okay, so I think there's there's perhaps three things that I might mention. Um, Firstly, uh, requirements of carbon accounting and offsetting and and a growing demand from public and corporate organisations looking to buy credits from carbon sequestered uh, via uh, woodland creation schemes to meet their carbon commitments. Uh, and their corporate social responsibility targets. Uh, And as I touched on earlier, this situation has increased the potential for landowners planting trees to benefit from selling the associated carbon credits uh, needed for a green economic recovery. Um, secondly, I think there's also an increasing awareness and, and knowledge of, uh, related to carbon stocks and soils and the potential for poorly planned forestry operations to reduce uh, overall soil carbon stocks. Uh, and this, this has meant an increasing focus on the importance of choosing site suitable ground preparation methods for woodland creation projects in order to protect soil carbon levels. And uh, so, uh, Scottish Forestry has this year provided updated guidance on ground preparation to help further minimise soil disturbance on woodland creation sites. And I think just finally, the the concept of the right tree in the right place for the right reason, as I mentioned earlier, is becoming increasingly important. Um, The size, type and location of your woodland creation scheme should be informed from the outset by your long-term objectives. Um, For example, if your primary objective is commercial return on the timber, uh, then you need a forestry block uh, of of a minimum size with good access uh, and productive species. So yeah, the right tree in the right place for the right reason, uh, and think about your your, your long-term objectives at the very start.
0: Oh I think that's a that's a perfect way to, to bring the podcast to a close. Um, Virginia Harden, thank you very much for, for joining us.
1: That's no problem at all. Happy to help. Thank you very much indeed for inviting me.